Good morning, church family. How are we all? Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've been out the front, um, in this capacity anyway. Uh, last week we had a small group here and we worshipped and listened to the story of Matt and Michelle and how they came to be in Brisbane. And um, we've had a great time. If you are new, we usually, to refresh, we usually run in series. And so um, we'd finish this series called Spray and Wipe. If you'd like to listen to that, you can go on to soundcloud.com.au or sign up onto iTunes and download the podcasts. If you were here over the holiday period, we had a series that was My Story, His Story. And it talks about people's testimonies and how God has worked through their lives. And if you'd like to listen to that one, you can go to soundcloud.com.au forward slash refresh church or subscribe to it on the iTunes podcast. This series, brand new series, this is actually the first time I get to kick off a series. Neil usually takes that honour. And um, we did a rock off in our office the other day and I won. So I get to introduce this series to you. So this series that we're going to cover over the next four weeks is when, where's God when? And what we're going to talk about uh, sometimes in our life we get dealt a hard hand, to use a Kenny Rogers sort of vibe. We get dealt cards in our lives that sometimes we think, this isn't fair. All these bad things start to happen. Where's God when all this is going on? The classic question, why do bad things happen to good people? This is the type of theme that we're going to run with throughout the next four weeks. Um, we accept this man Jesus into our lives and things, things can go swimmingly for so long. You can be just cruising through life's journey with everything else flipping around beside you. You can be um, having a great time at church, have an awesome community around you and, and life just seems to happen so nicely. So nicely. And we don't realize that God is there in those moments with us. But the thing is, the thing is in the Bible, we get told certain things and there's a flip side. There's a flip side. If you have your Bibles with me, with us here today, and you turn to the book of John, it'll be on the screen as well if we can, if it hasn't worked out. So far, technology isn't my best thing for this morning. Um, there it is. There it is. So John, the book of John 16:33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Check it out. In the book of John, we have the writer, John, writing that in the world you will have tribulation. There's no, there's no, you might have tribulation. At some point in your story, in some point in your life, you are going to find tribulation. And the best thing about this text is, and we know it's a, got the stamp of authority on top of it, is he is quoting directly from Jesus. Let me just read that little bit again. In the world, you will have tribulation. The thing with tribulation or the thing with trouble is or, or 
something bad is that we, tragedy, that's the word I was looking for. It, tragedy is we can never plan for tragedy. No one goes, oh, I can't do lunch. Um, yep, no, my morning's pretty full. Wait, at three o'clock I've got a bunch of tragedy coming, so um, can't do it then. So when do you want to meet up? You know, you can't plan to say, well, tragedy's just around the corner. There's a reason why it's called tragedy, and that's because it interrupts your life. Interrupts your life. And then you have people that say this sort of statement to you. You'll get through this. It's not going to be painless. It's probably not going to be instant. But God will be able to turn this mess into something good. While this is happening, don't be foolish and don't be naive. Don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. And where do people get authority to say something like that to us? The exact same place where it gives us warning that we're going to have tribulation in our lives. In a pit. One of the darkest holes you've ever seen in your life. Similar to that, then on the last Batman movie where Batman gets thrown down a hole and he's in there in the jail for a little bit. This is what I'm picturing. For those of you that are frequent people to refresh, you'll know that um, whenever I see something in a, in, a, in a Bible story, I always try and find some way to visualize it in my head. And, and I'm picturing that jail cell just without the people. And so here's, here's this pit. Here's this pit in the middle of nowhere and steep sides. You, you, you sort of get the picture as you look up of just darkness all around you and just that light circle above you. You've got tree roots that come out and create a silhouette. You've got sort of brick rock things that make up the walls. It's cold. It's damp. There's a pit. And if you somehow manage to climb up, the people that put you into the pit just push you back down. This is where we find our hero of the story today. We're going to rewind a little bit, though. Joseph, common character in the Bible. Everyone knows about Joseph. We're going to do a little recon on Joseph's life right now. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob slash Israel. So Israel got the name from Israel, who was Jacob, who got it from God and all this kind of stuff. But we're going to call him Jacob just for continuity's sake. He was a favorite son of Jacob. And the reason why he was a favorite son of Jacob was he was from Jacob's favorite wife. That's a whole nother backstory. This is the world's most dysfunctional family right here. From Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. First son born to Rachel was Joseph. And, and Jacob didn't care who knew it, but Joseph was the favorite son. And then later on, a little bit further down the track, probably a couple of years, it's hard to tell, they had another son named Benjamin. And Rachel died while giving birth to Benjamin. And so Joseph and Benjamin were considered precious. Not Lord of the Rings precious, but even more precious. And so Jacob decided, I'm going to make my eldest son from my favorite wife a coat. And that's what he did. That's what he did. He made this coat. So all the other brothers, there's lots of them. 
all the other brothers were dressed in sort of op shop sort of clothes. They, they were rags. You can sort of picture them, you know, in a, I don't know, Hessian sack almost. And, and the other brothers were dressed poorly compared to this moment. And then you have this coat, the finest material, all different dyes to make the colors. It weaved itself almost. It was that good. Jacob created this coat, handed it to his favorite son and said, there you go. Now, as a sibling, I've told stories about my brother as well. You guys get to know me pretty well. That's good. Um, as, a, as a sibling, if my brother got something that was supremely good, I didn't feel that crash hot about it, I must admit. But in the end, the parents do something else and it all equals out in the end. Not in this case. It's a bit weird. As I said, the world's most dysfunctional family. And they'd make millions if they had a um, reality TV show, wouldn't they? I just had that at the moment then. That'd be pretty cool. Kardashians, eat your heart out. So here, here we have this coat set aside. Joseph is the kid. And the brothers have had enough. Not only that, but Joseph is quite vocal about it. He has these dreams that sort of suggest that his brothers and whole family are going to bow down to him, going to almost worship him. And he tells his brothers this. He tells his dad this. They get upset about it. They get really upset about it. And so we're going to fast forward a little bit in the story. Joseph's brothers and the whole community that they're in are sheep herders. And they've been sent out with the sheep. And Joseph's brothers are sitting there doing their job. They see Joseph off in the distance. And the Bible says they start to plan. They start to plot. But they don't want to just hide Joseph or scare Joseph. They are plotting to kill him. They are plotting to kill their brother, dysfunctional family and here they see him coming off in the distance and they come up with the idea they find this hole in the ground and they decide to throw him down there for a little bit and so as he comes closer they they grab him they rough him up a little bit they take his coat and throw him down the pit they throw him down the pit and that's where we find our hero looking up all he can see is the ring of sky with silhouettes of roots and jagged rocks and all sorts looking out. And if he climbed up, the brothers would have pushed him down again. I'm going to pause there for a second. Joseph's life was going swimmingly. Some would say even awesomely. Everything is awesome. And he found himself in some tragedy. He found himself when things went bad. Did he plan for it? No. He found himself in a hole. And sometimes our wells that we find ourselves in look like they're insurmountable. And the news sometimes that we get on the other end of the phone is extremely disheartening. Um, a few years back, 
Um, 2004, 5, we were um, quite a close summer camp family out at Somerset. And um, one of our friends was home. Um, he was heading to what we used to run, Quasdas Cafe Q. And um, he was he was riding on a motorbike. And um, he was coming up over a crest and the other car came and hit him. I didn't think I'd do this. Um... And he got closer, and it hit him. And the next thing that all of us knew was a phone call. And the phone call was, he's now in hospital, and he's on life support. And all of us were a pretty close group. And um, we all wanted to go see him, but the family requested we didn't. And there was just a few um, few friends and few family, immediate family in there. And... Um, we all, the instant response to that moment was pray. Pray. And so, and so that's what we did. We, um, everyone that night got on their knees and just started praying like, praying like we never prayed before. And um, we waited and we kept praying. Everyone was upset. Everyone was, was hugging each other. And um, in that moment, you just lost all track of what was going on in your normal life. In that moment, that planning that we always do in our diaries didn't matter at all. The tragedy had kicked in, changed our lives, made a right-hand turn, made a, made, sent us into a whirlwind. And um, that night, I think it was early the next morning, um, he passed away. And um, that was the next phone call. That was the next phone call. He was 21. Someone so young. Taken. Look, I know there's some questions that you ask yourself in in times of tragedy. That he's he's so. I know our time on earth is is limited. But at 21. And then, must have been a couple of years later, there was another another accident with another friend. And it just continued. And each time that you get ahead in your life, tragedy sort of seems to, seems to kick in. The strange thing was, in, in the case of my, my first, uh, first friend that got taken for us was, his parents kept on saying, God is good. His parents, no matter when I talk to them, and they're great friends now, every time I see them, they, they, we catch up and it's all, all hunky-dory. But his parents would always say, God is good. And it, and it just messed with my head. I didn't have a full understanding of what they were going on about. God is good. 
And the answer behind that is he sent his son, it's in that second part of that verse, he sent his son to overcome the world. He sent his son to overcome the tragedies that happen in our lives. And it's because of the cross we have different reactions to when tragedy strikes. Because of the cross, we're able to look tragedy in the face and say there is a brighter side. There is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of our well. Because of the cross, we respond differently to what goes on. G, uh, Joseph found himself in the well. And the next part of the story is where it kind of gets interesting. The next part of the story is where we get the authority to tell people it's going to be okay. The next part of the story doesn't immediately go to roses. Here we have Joseph down the hole, and all he can hear is the sound of donkeys in the distance. Everyone's looking at me going, donkeys? Really? Um... It is well known that when a caravan moved around the place in those times, particularly for those people, that around 300 donkeys was like the minimum size of, of um, caravan that was there. So if they had 300 donkeys or more, these guys are pretty well off. And so he had a herd, a, herd a herd of donkeys. English, collective nouns, beautiful. He heard a herd of donkeys walking along the road and he wondered what was going on. He wiped his eyes, looked up to see if anything was happening and the next thing that happened was his brothers sold him to the caravan. His brothers sold him to the caravan. They've pulled him out of the pit. It's a good start. But then they sold him to the caravan. Phew. Great outcome. The caravan then moved off to Egypt, and I'm going to rush through this part of the story. Hopefully, if you want to look it up, it starts in Genesis 37 and ends around Genesis 50-ish. All right? So if you want to read it in your own time, I'm going to rush through it. Here we go. So they sold him to the caravan. The caravan then moved to Egypt. In Egypt, a man named Potiphar bought Joseph. So it's still not looking rosy for him, but at least he's out of the pit. So Potiphar then had him, and while Potiphar had him, he noticed that the kid had some nous, and he was doing good work, so he made him head of Potiphar's household. Starting to look up. Starting to look up. Potiphar's wife then takes an interest in Joseph, flaunts herself in front of him. He says no, she says yes, and then she puts him up for assault or something. And Joseph then ends up in jail. So we sort of have a graph sort of thing happening. We've got in the, in the well, yeah, sold into slavery, slavery, head of the household, in jail. In jail, Joseph has some more experiences where the jail, head jail person, looks at him and goes, you're all right, you do good, so we're going to make you the organiser of the jail. And so they did that. So Joseph's on the way back up. Joseph's on the way back up, and he meets two other people, and then he interprets their dreams, and then eventually he ends up in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time. 
he ends up in front of the most powerful man in the world at that time. And that most powerful man of the world wants him to interpret, interpret a dream. How many dreams have you guys interpreted lately? It, it's, it's a pretty intense thing. And if he gets it wrong, if he gets it wrong, he gets the noose or, or decapitated or however they decided to do it in the end. But here we have Joseph standing in front of the most powerful man in the world about to deliver a message to him, wondering what's going to happen if he gets it wrong. And the most powerful man in the world, after he receives his answer, turns around and says, you are the man to organize what's going to happen next. You are my right-hand man. You are the prime minister of the most powerful nation the world has ever seen to this point. Started in a well. Started as his father's favorite son and then ended up in a well. Now he's the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. Joseph's deal was that he was to save the world from a horrible horrible travesty in the fact that there was going to be no food, there was going to be no water, there was going to be a shortage of absolutely everything. But Joseph stockpiled all he needed. He stockpiled everything that they needed plus some to save the world. And that's what he did. And this is where, this is where a cool part of the story starts to unravel. Well, here we have Joseph starting to sell grain, starting to sell, sell seeds, starting to sell corn out to other people in the, in the local areas and beyond. People would travel for weeks on end just to get to Egypt to buy some wheat. And so here we have Joseph, the head guy of all that. He could do, snap his fingers and then all of a sudden stuff begins to happen. It didn't even matter what it was. He'd just go and people would start dancing or something. Here we have Joseph, the guy in the bottom of the pit, saving the world. If there was any time for someone to insert some hero music, that would be it. And here, Joseph gets wind of a group of Hebrews coming to see him. Joseph gets wind of a group of Hebrews that are coming to buy seed. And he specifically takes their case in his hands. He specifically goes out of his normal day-to-day life to meet up with these Hebrew people. He knew who they were going to be. And so they rock up. And can I... Let's see if this is working yet. No, it's not. Can I get you to go to the last slide, please? Here we go. And this is his response. And it was his brothers. His brothers came to Joseph and started begging for food. And this is his response. After a little while, read the story. It's worth it. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Check it out. The guy that was the prime minister of the most powerful country in the world realized where his power came from. He realized that, but with God, he meant the evil for good. To get all theological on you, um, the reason why the word meant is highlighted 
And if you take the Hebrew, original Hebrew, and get the verb out of that word, the verb actually means weave. It's very interesting. The verb means weave. And here we have Joseph. Remember when I said he was the, the favorite brother? And his dad made a coat. Had something to do with weaving to make that coat. And then all the way along, Joseph has these ups and downs, hills and valleys, all the way along. When you weave something, you usually go, yeah? I'm just looking at the home ec teachers. I've got no idea. Um, it means weave. So if you put that in the context of what he's saying here, as for you, you weaved evil against me. But God then took and weaved it for good. Our, our lives are filled with tragedies that happen. We, we've got the instances that are numerous to count on one hand, but God turns those around and makes it for good. This is where we get our authority from to tell someone it's going to be all right. Keep looking ahead. Keep your eyes on God. And then the verse continues, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The bring it about, pulling the words apart again, actually means construction, to build. It's a, it's a construction term, to bring it about. And I couldn't really picture it in my head, so I was thinking about you know driving trailers around the place and all that kind of stuff. Bring it about, mate. And it's a construction term. So here we have, we use the analogies all the time, God as a master builder, God as a potter, God as so on and so forth all the way through. So to build that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The boy in the pit turns into a prime minister, acknowledges that God saved the day in the end, and he built into place, he wove into place Joseph in the right place at the right time. We see a boy in a pit. We see a boy in jail. We see a boy that has probably had a pretty ordinary life from the pit onwards. I see God doing training. I see God giving him time to think about what's going on. I see God giving him the tools that he needed to fulfill what God had in, plan in sight for him. I was out at, on the third Stormco trip, which wasn't represented up here this morning, um, over, the, over the June holidays. And um, I made a contact out there, one of the local cops, policemen, and he, he took me on a drive one morning. It's awesome getting in cop cars and stuff when you're not in trouble. Well, I haven't been in when I'm in trouble. But you feel, I don't know, there's this sense of, can I push the siren? You know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was controlled. I, I behaved myself. And he took me around to some of the locals. And there was this one particular local that I was chatting to. And for some reason, we were talking about moving from Mergen to Kingaroy. And he started complaining about the roadworks in the middle. As there always is, there's always roadworks in Australia or on the Australian highways. You! Anyway. Um, and so there was these roadworks in the middle. And old mate started complaining about what these roadworks are actually doing. And off he went. 
and he, I was there for a good 20 minutes while he was talking about roadworks. And I was looking for my opportunity to sort of go, anyway, i got to go. It never came. And so I'm sitting there going like this. Jamie's sitting there going like this. And eventually we did get our point and we moved on. Person number two, Leo his name was. Leo, the local car salesman. And we rocked up and started chatting to Leo. And it turns out he's the, he's the uh, I don't know, local manager for all these different things. The museum, the, as they are in small communities, they've got their hand in everything. And Leo, turns out, he's on the committee that builds the roads or has input into building the roads. And Leo told me, oh, which way did you come through? And I said, oh, yeah, we came through from Kingaroy. And he goes, did you see the roadworks? And I went, yep, I did see the roadworks. We had to stop at them for a little bit. And he goes, aren't they awesome? And I said, what? I've just gone from old mate that's talked to me for 20 minutes about how bad they are. I'm with Leo for five minutes and he's going, yeah, roadworks. Love them. The two different responses to the roadworks come from Leo saw the outcome. Leo has a map in his office up on the wall that has a picture of what the road's going to look like when it's finished. Old mate, I can't even remember his name. Old mate has no idea what it's going to look like when it's finished. The difference between the two, one can see the outcome. Now, I don't know about you, but stories in the Bible, when you start looking at how long they take to develop and to finish, they take a while. They take a while. And just like old mate with the, with the roadworks, he's been driving past them for many days and nothing seems to be happening. Noah, 120 years to build a boat. It's a long time. Moses took him 80 years to prepare to do something. And then you, you can even go into the, the New Testament where Jesus himself was on earth for 30 years before something happened. In his, well, there are moments along the way, but 30 years before he started his ministry. David, king of Israel, God's most loved. He got anointed when he was a little kid, then he got sent out to pasture to look after the sheep. We have the future king of Israel looking after sheep for a good period of time before he was even considered to be king. God's history is not built in minutes. God's history is built in lifetimes. I stole that. That's from Max Licato. <laughs> but I think it's pretty good. Joseph would be the first to tell us that getting thrown into a pit Pretty ordinary. But the pit focuses on one thing. Being thrown into the pit gives us focus. Because all you can do is look up. All you can do is look up. And the same God that was there, that came down, gave Joseph a hand, made him the most successful prime minister, comes down and gives us a hand too. No matter what tragedy comes our way, no matter what happens in our life, and that gives us the authority to say it's going to be all right.
That gives us the authority to say, look up. He's going to be there for you. May not be, may not be painless. It may take some time, but he'll come through at the end. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for everything you do for us day by day. And, and Lord, we just uphold everything we have to you right now. And Lord, I don't know what's happening to the people in this, in this room today, but Lord, you know what is going on. And I just ask that you, you let them know that you're around and, and keep them looking up to you. And Lord, if we get thrown into pits throughout this next week or month or years or whatever else, help us to remember to don't try and sit there and muddle about what's going on, to just automatically look up and, and see you. We love you lots, Lord. We can't wait to see you. In your name, amen.